It's Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Write the doctor a nice review for 2014. Give him five stars as we bring in the new year right here on the verge of 2014. And Happy New Year, Dr. Stu. Happy New Year, Brian. Did you have a wonderful Christmas? <laughs> okay, we'll do this. Okay, all right. You know what? Uh, yes, I did. You did? Yeah, I did. I had a great Christmas. What did you get for Christmas? Oh, it was the happiest Christmas ever. I mean, I had I had a great Christmas. What? And now people are saying, well, why are they acting so weird when they're talking about Christmas? Well, because this is pre-recorded. Oh. So we could act like Christmas was great, and we could act like all of that. But, uh, you know, because it is the happiest time of year. And we're going to have the hap, hap, happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap dance with Danny Kaye. All right. It's <laughs> a great movie, right? Christmas Vacation. Oh. Really. Now, by the way, Dr. Stu. So, so, we, you know, so we can't put on airs for, for our listeners? And you know, we can. Do you want some Christmas music? Do we have Christmas music? Yeah, we do have a little bit of Christmas music, and we can pretend that Christmas happened, and, and I can tell well, you. Well, if you, if you could have gotten the thing that you wanted most for Christmas, what would it have been? <laughs> you know, I really, that's, you know, you and I spent Christmas together last year. Remember that? Did we have Chinese food? Yes. And, <laughs> I remember that. And I was sort of, you know, because people say, Brian, you're a Jewish guy, right? And they're always surprised when I say, no, I'm not a Jewish guy. But I like to do that honorary, I think I'm an honorary Jew. Yeah, you, yeah. well, you, uh, um, um, yes. Baruch Adonai. <laughs> Basel tov. So, uh, uh, so for me to go to for Chinese food with you on December 25th, I mean, the only thing we left out was a movie. Movie, that's right. That's, <laughs> this is what Jews do on Christmas. They go out for Chinese food and they go to a movie. That's what we do. <laughs> that is what you guys do, right? Yeah, yeah because there's nobody at the theater. Is it empty? I mean, it really well, is. You, yeah, but a lot, would, of, you know, but, a lot of the Goyim, we go out there, we catch at 2 o'clock. The later movies start to fill up. But, you know, if you go to the, you go to like the 1 o'clock movie or the, right. you know, the 2.30 movie, they're generally pretty empty by then. But later in the day... Even the even the good, good Christians are, have had enough. Well, and they're, I, I, out, they're I, going out to a movie. Well, look, I mean, by six o'clock at night on Christmas, I mean, you're going to have Christians, Jews, Muslims. You're going to have the whole crowd is going to be in there. Well, you know, there's no football, <laughs> so what are you going to do? <laughs> right. You and I did have Chinese food. It was really good too. Isn't that funny? Yeah. yeah. At a local place. You know, it's funny. People yeah. said to me because I, I used to get emails from a, a, not really a friend of mine, but sort of an acquaintance of mine, like a professional sort of friend, whatever but not really personal friends. We really didn't know each other, which is evident by what I'm about to tell you. He would send me every year emails saying Happy Hanukkah to me. And I sort of appreciated it. And then it was about the second or third year. Oh, Brian, Happy Hanukkah. And I thought, you know what? It, Max is his name, Max Alexander, great comic. And he's been performing forever. And I thought, you know what? If Max is really going to know who I am, shouldn't I tell him that I'm not Jewish and I don't celebrate Hanukkah. In fact, it's Christmas, but it doesn't really matter because you're, you're, you're bringing holiday cheer and they're warm wishes and I appreciate them. So I brought it to the radio audience and I talked about it on the radio and every phone line started to ring on the switchboard. And I thought, what could this possibly be? And every call said, you're not Jewish? <laughs> So then the just, hour, just, you know, it's part of your part of your New York accent and your your, your common sense and your your sense of humor. It's very self deprecating. It's very Jewish. It is very Jewish. Yeah. Okay, right. So that it turned into an hour. The conversation was, "What is it about me that had you thinking I was Jewish?" And it was. People said the way you talk, what you say, your politics, stereo, some stereotypes, of course. Well, yeah, right, right. You're and, liberal, and they said you're from New York. You know, we've heard you say you're from New York. So all of these, and, and you make fun of yourself a lot, sort of, you know. Know, not quite as bad as Rodney Dangerfield, but you do have that sort of. Uh, I'm a mensch. Yeah, yeah, you're a mensch. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, you're an you're an you're an honorary Jew. You've already you've been. Yeah, I'm proud of that. No, yeah, I, I I like that. I mean, really, I have a lot of you know, I I do. I have a. Yeah, I, I would go to I would go for Chinese food every day. I mean, Christmas. You know, it comes up. By the way, uh, Santa Claus didn't come to the Fishbine House, right? 
Because well, there are some Jewish folks. Yes. Who, well, not not when I was a little kid. No, okay. no, okay. no, 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 no. Okay. But when I, I'm the woman I married was not Jewish. Right. And so we did Christmas and I actually loved it. I love going to get a tree. As a matter of fact, just recently, um, my ex and I, who get along really well, we, right. went, we went out with all the kids and we went and got a tree. We took the big Suburban out, which is my car, of course, because... I think, you know, a part of me thinks I was being used for my Suburban. <laughs> but, but no. SUV envy? But, yeah. No. And so we got the tree and we brought it back and, and, and we decorated the tree and we put the lights on the tree and we, and we sang songs and the, the boys took out their guitar and they sang for us. Oh, how beautiful. And we hung the ornaments on the tree and we lit candles and it was, it was just really, and we opened, and Sandy and I opened a bottle of wine. Right. So it was a really nice family thing and probably the reason... Well, the the reason it's so important is because it's probably going to be the last Christmas in that house. Mm. I think my ex is going to be moving out of her house this year because so all the kids because all the kids are going to be gone. Right. So, so there's something sentimental about anymore. the setting, right? Even just being yeah. There. But it was I I love the Christmas tree. I just I just love staring at a Christmas tree and I love Christmas music. Even though now when I'm driving in my car, like uh, going downtown to the Kings game and stuff like that, right? I'm gonna listen to the pregame. I'm listening. I'm finding. Uh, uh, Coast 103.5? Yeah, exactly. For the Christmas music. And they're already playing Christmas music. 24-7 is all well, they play. Well before Christmas. Right. Being that this is our post-Christmas show, but even though it's we recorded it before. Still the season. Yeah, they're playing Christmas. And I love I love listening to Christmas music. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. yeah I love that. You know, Maybe the, you you know the group Pentatonics that, that's got this thing out now? Um, oh. A Little Drummer Boy. They've it's It's gone viral on the internet. I saw it. I, yes, I saw it's it. A, it's a acapella group. Right. Yeah. And they're I got, fantastic. I got so turned on by their music that they're coming to the Nokia Theater in, in March, I think. I went on Ticketmaster and bought two tickets to their concert. Oh, how great. Oh, oh and Simply, great. and all, all I want to hear them is sing Little Drummer Boy. I don't right, care about you the rest leave. of their Right, right. You can sit right. down, they'll do Little Drummer Boy. If they don't Boy. do Little Drummer Boy, I'm going to be really upset. Right, I would think they would do that, They though. better do it. I think they would do that. Yeah, isn't that great? I saw, um, uh, you know, are you familiar? Since we're talking about uh, Jewish folks who do the Christmas thing, uh, I was writing online the other day. A friend of mine was tweeting about Jews for Jesus. You're familiar with the organization? No, I'm familiar with them. <laughs> okay. why, why do you laugh? No, because it's just Jews for Jesus. I mean, it's great. It's just there's. It's why do I laugh when I say when I hear I that? Are there any Jews that are against Jesus? No, I don't think so. No, right? No, neutral. No, neutral for Jesus. No, most people, most Jews are 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 not. Christmas Christmas phobic. They, you know, they. That's a great word. They right. like Christmas. Sure, uh, right. we're not intimidated by Christmas. It's a national holiday for God's sakes. Right. You know, Christmas is for everybody. I mean, if those people that hate the nativity scene and those mean people that <laughs> want to take Christmas out of schools and stuff like that, well, then I think they should have to work on Christmas. Then they shouldn't get a national holiday, should they? Why? Well, why yeah. should it be a national holiday? But they won't let. Christians celebrate it the way Christians want to celebrate it. Yeah, well, that's right. I think that's fair. Right? They're just meanies. Yeah, I was once at a bank, and um, and I said to the teller, I said, Merry Christmas. And she said to me, oh, I, I, I don't celebrate Christmas. And I said, oh, I, I'm sorry, Happy Hanukkah. And she said, I don't celebrate that either. And I looked at her, I said, have a good day. What do you want from me? <laughs> I don't celebrate that either. Right. I said, where do we go from here? Have yeah. a great day. You up, know, Up yours. Right. And yeah. I said, you know, forget it. Cash the check. I got to get out of here. You're a Scrooge. Right. I couldn't believe it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Unbelievable. So happy new year. Of course, uh, this time of year when people bring in the new year. We'll talk a little bit here, a little from the medical file with Dr. Stu. Let's talk about alcohol consumption here for pregnant women in, right. in, uh, in 2014. Is it okay to have a little champagne? Is it okay to have... It's not okay to get drunk when you're pregnant, is it? It's not a good idea to get drunk when you're pregnant. However, if that were to happen, 
you don't have to worry that suddenly your baby's going to be brain damaged or have fetal alcohol syndrome. Of course, everything in moderation is, is probably reasonable. And certainly that goes for alcohol. It goes for non-pregnant people who drink alcohol too. Well, that's right. You, know, you don't want to be drinking too much and getting drunk and going out and driving and killing somebody either. So uh, for pregnant women though, I would say that there's no difference between New Year's and any other day of the year as far as what the rules would be, which would be that it's okay to have a glass of wine or a glass of champagne. Mm -hmm. It's okay to do that. But I wouldn't have two or three. Uh, you, we, no one really knows the long-term effect. We're pretty certain that overdosing on alcohol one time is probably not going to be a problem. But subsequently falling down and banging your head on something right, or whatever, right. it's just not worth it. Right. It's not so recommended, obviously. It's not worth it. It's not, you know, everything that you do in life has risks and benefits. Mm. The risk of getting out of bed in the morning is that you may trip and fall and kill yourself. Right. But the benefit of getting out of the bed in the morning is to that go to you, work can and get a paycheck. And you can eat and you go to work and get a paycheck. Right. So we decide that the benefits outweigh the risks for that. Same thing with getting your car and driving. There are risks to that and benefits to that. Well, it's the same thing with alcohol and sushi and and, and secondhand smoke and all this Wait, stuff. Wait, sushi's bad? Who reported no, that? No, sushi isn't bad oh, for you, okay. but there is a parasite in sushi. And the rumor went around for the last decade or so that oh, women who are pregnant shouldn't eat raw fish. And here in Southern California, which that's like telling somebody is, not to drive. Yes, it is telling them not to drive, not to breathe. <laughs> right, right. Don't breathe. Right. Um, you don't need sushi or oxygen. <laughs> right. right. Well, you know, some people would say don't breathe the air in Los Angeles either, which, by the way, just, just as an aside, when I first moved to L.A. in 1982... I remember all the brownouts. I remember when the valley, the LA basin used to look awful. Mm. And you know what? For some reason, there's more, there's twice as many cars on the freeways as there, as there used to be, and the air never looks that bad anymore. Right, a lot of beautiful, clear days. Yeah. So uh, kudos to whoever. I don't know if it's the catalytic converters or whatever they did, or the the, the high gasoline tax in California. No, it's Jerry Brown. He did it. Hey, Governor, is that right that you did it? Please increase taxes <laughs> temporarily. On the most affluent. Anyone else? And everyone else. Oh, everyone else. Uh, with a quarter. Of a cent uh, sales tax. You got to go. Yeah, so it must have been those taxes. But I actually right, have to right. say that See, they it, work sometimes. it even occurred before Jerry Brown. It so. did. Okay, so the sushi is a myth. Is that what you're saying? Where there's a parasite, but there might be, a, you might go down to the supermarket, not to name anyone in particular. You might go to the meat counter, buy something, get the manager special, as I made a mistake last year of doing. <laughs> right. I got the manager special. I thought, oh, I'll save $3, but, you know, I might, you know, feel like I literally am passing out the next day. Well, it's a special because it's a week old and they're trying to get rid of it. This is what I learned. But, you know, I learned it the very hard way because I thought, you know, I'm going to save $3. And this will be perfect. And then it was manager special time. And I, that was one of my resolutions for 2014. No manager special. Yeah. I'm going to pay retail well, the thing, for my meats. The thing about sushi is, is that, is that if, if, you know, if you go to a restaurant that has an A on the window and you're, you're likely to get food that's really good, that's really healthy. All right. And, and if sushi isn't good for pregnant women because it might have a parasite in it, mm. then why is it good for you and me, Brian? Right. I mean, I don't want a parasite either. Do you want a parasite either? I don't. No. If so, given the choice, I'm going to say so, no. I'm going to say no. no on the parasite. Right. So you can go to a normal restaurant and you can eat sushi. You can have a glass of wine, mm -hmm. uh, eggnog if you want to have some eggnog okay. for Christmas, that sort of thing. It's absolutely fine. But everything needs to be done in moderation. You mentioned the, the restaurants and the ratings. And I always uh, a quick uh, rule of thumb here. The A means always. This is for California, by the way, for people who are listening from out, out of state. Right. The restaurants in California are rated by the, I guess it's the health department. Department right? of Health. And yeah. they put the, the uh, letter grade like you would get back in school on an essay. They put it on the door and it might be A, which I think means always. You can always go there. B, be careful. C, see you later. <laughs> right. right. If I see a C, I will not go into So I want to ask this question. How much does it, how much 
do you have to pay the health department to get an A? <laughs> well, you see what I mean? Well, that's it. I mean, I'm going, well, what is happening here? You know, it's interesting uh, because uh, I talked to my uh, friend Ben Shapiro here when we do our radio show, and he is kosher. And he tells me about how when they go into kosher restaurants, the rabbi, the certificate is right on the wall there. And the rabbi comes in and he sort of inspects everything and then he gives them a certificate. And I think sort of like the health department, the rabbi will come in maybe annually and do an inspection. So do, do I give an olive and a bet and a gimel? Is that what they do? Or? Well, see, now you're now when you're speaking Latin. <laughs> see, not, not Latin, yeah, well, it's Hebrew. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> right. No, right. so it's it's interesting. It is interesting. But uh yeah, so so okay, so the sushi is okay. A little bit of alcohol is fine. I think that you talk about all of these. And you know what? A little bit of sweets are fine too. I mean, we tell pregnant women to, you know, be careful, make sure you're eating from your four <clears throat> your four food groups. But mm-hmm. but but uh, you know, if you want a piece of cake, if you want something ice cream, if you want something really sweet, it's okay one, you know, that, that day to do that sort of thing and to have no guilt whatsoever. And don't let any of your family members dump any guilt on you. Just tell them, you know what, mom, listen to Dr. Stu's podcast, number 30, whatever it is. Right. And uh, download it on iTunes and, right. and tell your mom this, give them five stars and write them a nice review. <laughs> right. And you say, well, I've heard that before. And then, and then, right. You say, mom, I'm going to eat the cheesecake. That's right. Or they can read, uh, read this in Fearless Pregnancy, Dr. Stu's book. Too. Yeah. And we have a link right here on Dr. Stu's podcast, right on the right side of the website there. Scroll down. It makes a great gift for Christmas. It really me. does. Well, for next year. <laughs> for or, next Christmas. Right. Or, you know, it makes a great New Year's gift. It really and truly does. You talk about the cheesecake and wanting the cake. Are cravings real? Are cravings Everything's biological in a pregnant oh, woman. Oh, sure. They're, they're really happening. Sure. Right. Sure. I mean, ask any, well, not every, and not any, but almost every pregnant woman will have say that she craves something that she wouldn't normally eat. There are, there are women who are crave, crave meat, who normally are vegetarian or will not eat red meat, but they mm-hmm. crave red meat. There are women who will crave other, other vegetables or other certain foods. I mean, there are even women who, who crave things like, you know, it's called pica, where they're eating things you're not supposed to eat. Like, I see. Like dirt. Other things like that. Really? Yeah, those are rare. They're almost as rare as the the when the previous podcast we talked about the lady who thought she was pregnant who wasn't even pregnant. Now, have you dealt with it with a a pregnant woman who's come in and say I'm I'm craving? I haven't, but it's in the textbook. It's in the book, right? Sure. Well, yeah. then it's true if it's in the book. It's true. It's got to be true, right, right, Mr. President? It's true. Yeah, okay. <laughs> my mom, she told me later in life she had cravings during my pregnancy. She was craving Marlboros. And I swear, <laughs> I never talked to my mom about it. My mom is past, but I think, I mean, my mom was a heavy smoker. I'm certain she smoked while she was pregnant with me in 1972. Um, that's very common. Yeah. I think my mom smoked when I was pregnant, but that was in the 50s. I think everyone smoked right, in those days. Right, right. Yeah, my mom. I mean, so she, give... she was craving Marlboros. Does that mean she was smoking Pall Malls before that? And then I think she, she changed, switched, yeah. She changed her craving? Right. She said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm craving Marlboros. And that's because I... she liked the guy, uh, the horse. Yeah, the Marlboro man. Yes. Yeah, she did. I think she did like him. Well, very interesting. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so that's treat yourself. Marketing. That, yeah. that is good marketing, by yeah. the way. That yeah. Marlboro man, he was- That worked. Right. And of course, did you see the commercials years later where they showed it's like a cancer-ridden old guy who supposedly the Marlboro Man was anti-smoking commercial? Right. It's a, people just go crazy. Right. I mean, people go crazy. But the smoking. Now, let me see if I can get you on that. You okay. said, Doctor Stu, you've said, okay, for 2014 and holiday celebrations and the new year during this week when everybody's sort of going to parties and whatnot, a little bit of champagne is fine. You want that slice of cheesecake? That's fine. But if you want that Marlboro, that's really not fine. Right? Well, two things. First of all. If you're in California, it's pretty unlikely you're going to find a place where you can have a, have a marble anyway. Right, without we made getting the deci- We made the decision for you without getting arrested. Right, but in other states, maybe. Uh, I want I want to let women know that they do not need to be fearful of secondhand smoke. That's ridiculous, and there's no data whatsoever that secondhand smoke is bad for you and me, Brian. Let alone pregnant women. 
this commercial where the smoke wafts through the vent and then goes to the little kid playing on the floor. Right. You know, I want to I want to throw a brick at my television set when that happens because it's that's such bullshit. Really? Yes. Okay. Yes. There's no data to support that secondhand smoke uh, does anything terrible in small exposure like that. That's ridiculous. All right. Maybe if you're working in a smoky restaurant for 20 years and you're a non-smoker, maybe it could affect you. But that kind of thing is not going to affect you. Quick question. The term secondhand smoke would not apply to a fetus or a baby in mom's tummy because that's mom still. I mean, there's two, yeah, there's two well, in one yeah, there, right? The baby's, not, the baby's not being exposed to any smoke. The baby's being exposed to stuff that's absorbed through the lungs, which is like the tar tars and, and, and stuff. Yeah, like right. It's not the nicotine that's a problem. It's the other things in it. That's why electronic cigarettes, by the way, are probably okay in pregnancy. Uh, I don't really have not seen any uh, recommendations coming out of any of my organizations that say that the nicotine in in electronic cigarettes is, is necessarily any worse for you than than caffeine. So again, it gets down to moderation. Smoking one cigarette at a, at a cocktail party on New Year's Eve is not going to hurt you. It's not going to be bad for your baby. Your baby isn't going to be hypoxic. or. What, what about a cigar? I mean, what about a real stove? Well, cigar you don't <laughs> inhale. Right, you don't, right. So it's just a taste. So you're going to get a little bit of the nicotine and stuff like that. But cigars don't cause cancer of the lungs. I mean, theoretically, it could cause lip cancer, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But you just don't see that very often. What about an old school pipe? There's nothing really more sexy than a woman smoking like a... Like an old school pipe. I'm kidding, of course, with the smoking jacket on while she's pregnant. That to me is, uh, it would seem to me that that these types of, uh, you know, this, you, with the with the people you treat, you must see so few smokers in. in we don't, you know, we don't see any smokers. Really? Um, you don't really. see any? We see occasional people who use weed. Oh, okay. We, we okay. do. And okay. We, that was my next topic yep. was that, you know, even, even again, if it's New Year's Eve and somebody's smoking pot next to you or. You take a hit off a pot. You're not supposed to do that, okay? But it's not going to hurt your fetus if you do that one time or two times that night, all right? I don't believe that there's anything good about smoking pot on a regular basis. I think that that is probably not good for the developing neurons and stuff that's going on in the baby's brain. Mm. So I would not recommend that for anything. But what I'm saying is if you are at a party and you want to imbibe or you want to take a toke or you want to have a cigarette, all right, you not you don't have to be stressed. The st- as I've said before in other podcasts, the stress about worrying about whether these things are bad for you is probably worse than the things themselves. Well, that's it. And you know, you mentioned the cheesecake. The slice of cheesecake is going to make mom happier. I mean, it, you know, yeah. And then you're going to put out good humoral hormones. You put out some endorphins, and your baby's happy. When you're when you're happy, your baby's happy. That's true, right? That's true. And to depri- well. De- to the best of our knowledge, it's true. Okay, yes. and to deprive yourself of that cheesecake is just going to sort of make you bitter and maybe resent the fact that you're pregnant. And oh, I don't like this, and right, I don't and feel you're going to snappy, and you're going to fight with your husband. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's not healthy. Right, it's not the way to go. All so, right, cheesecake and uh, booze. Okay, so online here, doctor. <laughs> right, yeah. And just a little bit of weed. But, I mean, really, ladies, just a little bit. A little bit, yes. Yeah, and so that's our And, pop- uh, yeah, our- don't tell anybody you heard it here on Dr. Seuss Podcast. Right. <laughs> the more you know. Okay. So, uh, okay, so we have here. Uh, what was that? That's the public service, you know, oh, the okay. more you know. Oh, okay. All right. So we have right here, uh, uh, this right here, email to Dr. Stu. Oh, it's not an email. Oh, yeah. Well, it was, well, it was, it was emailed to you. It was emailed to me. So right. this is out there on the internet. And, yeah. Folks are tweeting it. Folks are putting it on Facebook. Uh, and I want to give a shout out to my uh, my accountant. Oh, Swifty? <laughs> Swifty. How is Swifty? Swifty. My, from ca- the my account's of, name is Phil. From Dewey, Cheatham, and, and Howe, the firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. <laughs> it's one of my favorite oldest yeah, jokes. I remember that. Right. Okay. Right. right. So Phil sent this along to you. And the headline right here in big, bold type, are male gynecologists... Creepy. And BuzzFeed, the online website, 
I'm reading now, set some hearts aflutter, made a few shudder when it published photos of the man deemed the hottest gynecologist ever. And then they would put the question to women all across America, are male gynecologists creepy? Pamela, 28 years old, quoted in the piece, she says with a resounding yes. She says she'd never been treated by a male gynecologist and she never would. Malia, 32, a little bit mixed. She said, I worked as a receptionist for three male OBGYNs. There was no creepy factor with them. And then there's other folks who say Susan, for example, she's 50. She says she feels, in fact, more comfortable being seen by a male gynecologist than a female gynecologist. Some suggesting in this report. Did she say why? Yeah, some, in fact, they, uh, she does. Some suggesting here that there was sort of a coldness about the female gynecologist. And there was a, oh, and judgment, the word judgment is used here in the in the article. They felt as if a female gynecologist was being judgmental. I wonder if these are just gender stereotypes or if there's something to this, Dr. Stu. Well, you know, I can't speak for, for the experiences of other people since I myself have never been to a gynecologist. Right. <laughs> so right. I don't know what it's like to be in that position. But but I would tell you that I don't know that it's gender specific. I think it's a funny story. It's one of those things that circulates on the Internet. And I think that there are creepy male gynecologists. I don't think there's any doubt of that. Okay. But I think there are also creepy and cold and, and hard female gynecologists. And I, I think there are warm and friendly male gynecologists and there are warm and wonderful female gynecologists. So uh, this is sort of one of those things that's much ado about nothing. Mm. It's one of those articles that, you know, the, what my experience is, is that because of the feminist culture over the last 20, 30 years in the United States, that younger women find it odd to go to a man as their doctor. So younger girls mostly want female gynecologists. They don't necessarily want them because they're better or anything else, they want them simply because of their gender. So, in a, in a sense, it's a sort of uh, it's a sort of form of gender discrimination mm. that males are being discriminated against simply because of the feminist n notion that men can't possibly understand women, and therefore women must be better at this than being women. But then, you know, if you take the extrapolation of that, you could say, well, then should should there be such a thing as a female urologist? All right. Yeah, I would have to say, and this is my gut. I would have to say, I would rather go to a guy. Right. And isn't and but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that you're anti-woman or that women are creepy. It just means you, Brian Whitman, are more comfortable exposing yourself to a guy. Women, on the other hand, may be more comfortable exposing themselves to a woman. But some women would feel like, you know what? I no other woman I ever know of has ever seen me naked like this. Right. But men have, so I feel more comfortable with a man looking at my bottom than I do. A woman, that's sort of creepy to me, all right? That's sort of, am I, if I if I go to a woman and do, do I have lesbian tendencies? I mean, all these things could come out. Who knows? Right, but right. So I think that this this is, again, much ado about nothing. And ultimately, what, what matters is if you're happy with your, the person that's taking care of you. And yes, men are at a distinct disadvantage in 2013 as far as building a practice and building a clientele. When we as a group were looking to bring in a new young physician over the last 15 or 20 years, almost unanimously- You looked for a female. We looked for a female mm. because we felt that they would build their practice faster. Eventually, we ended up- taking, Did you find that was true? We found that it was true, but we, we, the other thing we found out was that the women, after working for about four or five years, 
We brought them in our practice to cover us, to make our lives easier. And if a patient and, came in and desired a female, you would have a female phys- physician to in offer. In the group, right. right. But what ended up happening after four or five years, when she was supposed to be coming in to make the senior partner's life easier, was that she would then get pregnant, go off on maternity leave, and we would end up covering her practice. And maybe so, sometimes she didn't want to come back. And then they don't want to come back full time, is what happens a lot. And so we've had we've been through three or four in the twenty some years that I've been together with my guys, we've been through three or four female physicians who came and went, and they all basically came and went for the same reason. Right. You know, they didn't they didn't really want to work as hard as we expected them to work. Mm-hmm. We ended up getting a young male physician about seven eight years ago, mm-hmm. and he's been great. See, and fantastic. You wanna- he's still with us. He works his ass off, mm-hmm. and uh, he's wonderful. He's absorbed some of the Dr. Fishbein tendencies. He still works in the hospital. Right. You know, his name is Dr. Jason Rothbart. He's really, you know, he's a hardworking guy who didn't do this thing where after four or five years, they wanted to give up obstetrics or only work part time. Well, you and I have talked about in the past on previous podcasts here about the desire that um, and we weren't talking about uh, colleagues or or other physicians. We were talking, in fact, about uh, clients, patients, uh, women for whom you've cared in your practice who were doing what is very common in on the on the eve here of 2014 to put uh, career, to, to, to put career before family and delay the family. And so you've, uh, a, a woman might have a great career for five years or 10 years or a dozen years, and then will go away, postpone the pregnancy, postpone the childbirth, have the baby, and then maybe after a while she wants to go back to the career and there's sort of this ping pong going on. And that would have to be, being sensitive to that, that would have to be really tough for a mom to have to make those decisions. It is tough and there's no easy decision. And you can't have it all. And the idea that you can do all these things, you can't. If you have a great career and you're and you're successful, it means that you're going to be spending time at work and you're going to be spending a lot of time advancing and doing things at work that are important. And that means less time at home. And if you're going to be a good mom at home and you're going to be taking your kids to school and giving even homeschooling them or teaching them uh, or being with them as much as possible, it means you can't possibly put as many hours in at work. That's why, the, you know, again, uh, this may be politically incorrect for me to say this, but we have this argument sometimes in politics about how women are paid less than men for equal work. And I would argue that that's absolutely not true. I think if, if, if women are paid less than men for equal work, then everybody would hire women because why would you hire a man and have to pay them more? I think when you're like in a law firm and a, a good friend of mine is a medical malpractice defense attorney and she tells me that she much prefers hiring men because men will come in at seven in the morning and work till seven at night and the women will come in at nine in the morning after dropping the kids off at school and want to be out by 4.30 so they can pick them up. And that's what's happening. And if your law firm is based on billing billable hours, you want the guy who's going to kill himself. You want more hours. That's what you want. Interesting. You, you said a moment ago that uh, – well, let, let, let me ask you a question about that. If uh, if a woman has a child and she has a career and she's doing both and we talk about maternity leave, or would you recommend an amount of time that a woman should be – out of work after she has the baby to do that initial bonding with her new baby before going back to work? I mean, if we're taking, for example, here, a woman who is juggling career and being a mom, what would you advise if you've been asked, and I'm sure you have been asked, what's an appropriate amount of time after you give birth to your baby to not go back to work, to have that bonding time? Well, you know, again, uh, we there is no one answer to that. I mean, it really depends on the on the the person, their social situation, their financial situation, things like that. So there, there are many factors in that. But ultimately, it, 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 you know, it's, it's very traditional of me to say, but I was lucky because my mom was a teacher. Mm-hmm. She, was a stay at, she stayed at home until I was in fifth grade. 
Oh, wow. And my sister was by then, she must have been in seventh or eighth grade by then. And then your mom went back to school. And then my mom went back to get her, upgrade her teaching degree and went back to being a teacher for the next 20 years. That's what she did. So So were you like a latchkey kid like me? For a while after the fifth grade, you'd come home to an empty house after school? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, my mom was a teacher, so her hours were very similar to mine. So by four o'clock in the afternoon, she's home. She's home, too, right. Right. Okay, right. It, wasn't, right. it wasn't like she had a career where she's not coming home. Right. And she uh, has business dinners or anything like yeah, that. People wonder sometimes when, when my love affair with pizza began. And it began when I was about 11 or 12 years old. My mom went back to work, and I would come home from school, and there'd be a $10 bill on the dining room table with a little note. Brian, get a pizza tonight, you and your brother, or, you know, get, you know— love you mom see you in a few hours and of course she worked right down the street if she needed to come right. home she could come home but uh, yeah that's when I fell in love with pizza but yeah by the time <laughs> I was in fifth grade I was quite capable but uh, getting back to your question I mean ideally uh, children should have a parent at home I just think they should and at least until they're they're going off to preschool or off to a kindergarten or whatever I, I just it would be lovely to have a parent at home it's best thing for the kids mm. it's best to be raised by the parent as opposed to being dumped off into a a daycare when you're a year, year and a half or having a nanny come and spend more time with your kid than you do. Um, and parents I, feel some guilt about that too. They, when they're dropping, the, you know. I think that the ones I see feel a lot of guilt about that. So if they can afford it, it should be part of their, you know, their planning, but if they can afford it, they, then one of the parents should probably be off for the first several years. Mm. I know that that's not necessarily practical, certainly not uh, politically correct to, uh, to say that women should stay home with their kid or, you know, the father can too. If the woman's a better breadwinner, that's fine. But I just think the women are more nurturing than most men. And I think the children like to have their mommies around. Right. And so, you know, it'd be great. I don't know that our country can afford to do what they do in Scandinavia where they give them, I think, a year and 18 months. Right, or paid or to, or to be away or, from the job. Yeah, I don't think we can afford to do that in this right. country. So we have to plan that ahead for ourselves. But that would be my opinion. You know, in this article, when Pam says that she wouldn't even dream of going to a male gynecologist, to me, that's very narrow-minded. All right. Because what if her what if her gynecologist thinks that she needs to see a specialist and happens to be the best one around is a male? Is she not going to go to that person? Mm -hmm. I think it's really dumb to say something like that. I don't know who Pam is, so I can literally say that I think she's a dummy. Right. It's anonymous. It's an email. But I like the the last paragraph in that article sort of sums it up. Yeah, I'll read it. It says a study published in October found that female doctors outperformed their male counterparts on patient care assessments. So maybe the real question isn't. Are male gynecologists creepy, but are they as good as female ones? Right. Well, that's, you know, I, I can tell you this was not written by, uh, this was written with an agenda, all right? Because, yeah, I think that there are some female gynecologists that are better than male gynecologists, but I can tell you that there are a lot of male gynecologists that are better than females. And I think- And I there think, are a lot of males who are better than the male practicing down the street and females who are better than the female practicing right. down so the street. That's right. So it's just, you know, it's like anything else. It's trial and error. It's like, you know- you like this restaurant, you don't like that restaurant. This restaurant, your friends rave about this restaurant. You go there, you don't have a crappy experience. Right, the gender of the chef doesn't matter. No, and the, and the quality of the food may not even matter. But then it's- again, you're not getting naked in front of the chef. I mean, really, that's it, right? I mean, really, I mean, I can remember a time when you, you, you personalized it for me because you talked about like a urologist. I remember a time being uh, in a doctor's office in the presence of a female physician and a female nurse, and I had to get naked. And I was yeah. really, un- I was uncomfortable. Yeah. I thought to myself, wow, I really wish this was a guy. A female me. doctor and a female nurse, did you say? Yeah. What yeah. were you What were you getting checked for? If I can it was ask? a physical. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. 
Why did you pick that female doctor? Well, because I was in the union at the time and I went to the to the union medical center and that was who they scheduled me with. Okay. And right. I didn't want to say no because I felt, oh, well, Brian, you're being narrow-minded now if you say no. So right. now be the liberal you pretend you are and go in there and do this. And, and when I got in there, I was really uncomfortable. And after it was over, did you, did you think your, really, your discomfort was justified? Or was it much better than you thought? It was fine, actually. It was fine. Right. The there experience was, was okay. I mean, right. it, was, it was fine. And they were, of course, were very professional and all of that. So, right. yeah, but right. interesting. And that we should have, we should have choice in our, in our lives to pick the practitioner that we want. We should be able to keep your doctor if you like your doctor. <laughs> right. Yeah. Is, is, is that the idea, President Obama? It's true. But is there any buts about this? And here's the big but. Right. The big but is. Yeah, the big but was you didn't get to keep your doctor. You didn't get you to like keep your doctor. Your doctor. Right. Uh, and and well, the last thing I'll say about my profession specifically is that you know male doctors in my profession are gradually going to get weeded out because because of the uh, economics of OBGYN because of the uh, loss of control of your own private your own personal practice because of the fact that young women are more uh, because of feminism are more t- prone to want to see young to see female gynecologists it's not necessarily the purveyance for as many male male OBGYNs as there used to be so a lot of men are beginning to look elsewhere and now about 80% of first year residents in OBGYN program are female. Mm. All right. About 10 years ago, it was 50, 50, but it's now about 80, 20. And it's, I don't know that it's pendulum's going to swing back the other way. Mm. So, you know, I don't know that it's a loss. It may be a loss in service hours available. It may be a loss in, in, in some of the relationships that men sometimes can have with their female patients where female doctors may not be able to have those sorts of things, right. same sort of things. Cause some women, feel more comfortable opening up to a male mm-hmm. than they do verbally op- than opening up to, to, a, another woman. to a, another woman right? who may be more judgmental. Yeah, well, that's they're... what they wrote in this article. Right. One woman used that word, as I said earlier. Right. So it's interesting. Wow. Okay. If you have any feedback on that or you have a question for Dr. Stu, askdrstu at gmail.com. That's the email address, askdrstu at gmail.com. Remember to go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Give the doctor five stars Write him a nice review there on iTunes and make sure you come back to drstewspodcast.com. Happy 2014. Happy 2014. Let's make 2014 a really good year, Brian. I hope your resolutions come true. Maybe we'll we'll talk at the next podcast about what they were and see if any See if I've broken them by by the time we're a week in. Correct. Right. Okay. I'm thinking the answer will probably be yes. Well, but, but, don't don't make resolutions that you have to break so, so easily. Right. Make them easier. Lower my standards. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, lower your standards. Lower, you know, like say, you know what? I, I like your I don't style. have french fries. Five times a week. Five, right. Okay, perfect. Yeah, see that? Okay. You, you, know, maybe you might be able think, to make that. I think that one I could probably do. Right. But let's make 2014 a great year. It's been a fun year working with you so far, Brian. Of course, and likewise. Happy New Year, everybody. Enjoy 2014. For Dr. Stuart Fishbein, I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for joining us on Dr. Stu's Podcast. Podcast.